On Friday, February 12, 2016, Evelina Dial went to visit her 93-year-old grandma and was excited about planning for her upcoming 94th birthday. She told her that she was going to decorate for her on that day and that they were going to have a ball. But Evelina never got to come back to her grandma's house again because she went missing that night. And two days later, on Valentine's Day in 2016, Evelina's body was found behind a house in Maxton, burned and stabbed to death. Who would do this to this young mother? Why is evil always lurking around the corner in Robeson County? This is the Red Justice Project. Evelina Dow was just 23 years old in 2016, and she was the mother of four children with a man who was considerably older than her. He was 56 at the time of Evelina's death. She was from the Maxton community, and actually, our last two stories, Terry Lowry and Lisa Homan, were both from Maxton, too. Yeah, we've had a lot of Maxton cases lately, and we also learned that Evelina had kind of a rough past, so some drug use, and she wasn't actually raised by her parents either. She was uh, very close to her grandma, though, and so her grandma had actually raised her for her whole life, and they were super tight. And her grandma lived really close to Evelina's aunts and other family members, so Evelina grew up surrounded by a lot of family members. And in one article that I read, her grandma says she was always here for grandma. A lot of times if she wasn't here, she would say, Grandma, can I get back there? I had a lot of love for her, honey. I did. She was just the sweetest she could be to me. And that just warms my heart and makes me, you know, miss my own grandmas too so much. Yes, grandmas are so important. I just had Sunday dinner down in Robinson County with mine today, so I definitely understand that. But before we get into what happened to Evelina, we have to tell you first what happened to her son a few weeks before. So her son, Manuel Cash Abdulaziz, was just three years old. And his dad, who's also named Manuel, owned a convenience store called the Tobacco Brothers Minute Shop in Lumberton, North Carolina, which is just about 10 to 15 miles from Maxton. And one Sunday morning on January the 10th, 2016, little Cash is with his dad at the store. And he was sitting behind the counter on a stool while his dad was talking to a customer. But sadly, there was a gun behind the counter in Cash's reach. And it's reported that the child picked it up and accidentally shot himself with a 9mm handgun. His dad turned and saw his little son laying on the floor of the shop and he called 911. And the child was taken to the hospital where he was soon uh, pronounced dead, unfortunately. Wow, just three years old. Like, I couldn't even imagine losing a child like that. Did anything ever come of that case? I mean, I know it was accidental, but can you just have a gun out like that? So there was an article that requests any information the public had about the shooting, uh, but no, I couldn't find any record of his dad actually getting in any trouble for that. There was actually a write-up about it in the New York Times, though, where they talked about gun violence in children and how actually hundreds of children die like this per year. And I don't know if you know this, and this kind of goes against, I think, our Robco raising of being very super pro-gun, but you're actually more likely to die of gun violence if you own a gun than if you don't. Uh, But after his death, community members left balloons, flowers, and stuffed animals outside of the shop in remembrance of Little Cash. And I think he went to the store a lot with his dad, so the community members knew him and loved him, and they were definitely mourning with the family. And I mean, obviously, Evelina is devastated by the loss of her son. He was just a child, and he was killed in such a senseless way, in a totally avoidable way as well. So I'm sure she was grief-stricken, but also probably angry, too. 
but she also had three other children to tend to at the same time, so again, I can only imagine the mental agony and stress she was under during the time. And we learned, unfortunately, that Evelina had turned to some unfortunate coping strategies during this time that had derailed her path to sobriety. Yeah, and we don't know a lot about what happened between this day, so January the 10th, 2016, and then the day that she went missing, which was February 12th. But either way, that's just four short weeks after her family already had to endure one tragedy. And we're also not sure if Evelina was ever reported missing, but we do know that her family didn't know where she was, and from what we could find, it was not typical for Evelina. But Evelina was not missing for long, because on Valentine's Day 2016, just two days later, reports say that a friend found her body behind a home in a wooded area off of Nina Road, which is right off of Modest Road in Maxon, North Carolina. And I looked on Google Maps, and this is like uh, less than three miles from the road that Terry Lowry actually went missing from, from our case last week. Honey, I'm pure scared of that area in Maxton now, but I'm very familiar with both of those areas, which is so crazy that so many people have went missing in that spot. Honey, I'm not I'm not going to Maxton for all of 2021, probably 2022, too. So just y'all have to catch me out there maybe in a few more years. But the friend who found Evelina actually called the authorities immediately. And we also read that her uncle saw her body, too, which is, you know, just another, I think, layer of devastation to this. Because I, I can't imagine, again, like finding my family member like that or my uncle's finding me like that. And um, Chelsea, can you just read her uncle's quote about him finding her? Yeah, sure. Her uncle said, I turned around and looked at her and said, Baby, I'm so sorry. That was unnecessary. There was no reason for what happened. None whatsoever. And just a quick warning for anyone who gets triggered by, you know, really graphic details. Uh, What happened to Evelina was very gruesome. So if you don't want to hear, just maybe fast forward for about 30 seconds. So um, Evelina was actually found in the woods covered in pine straw and she had been burned from the waist down. And she had been stabbed 45 times in total, 34 times in her torso, 5 times to her head or scalp area, 3 times in her upper arm area, and then 2 to her face and 1 in her neck. And in addition to being burned from the waist down, she also had some burns to her face and her neck as well. Oh my god, that is like so gruesome. It's just really sickening to me. Like, how could someone do a human like that? And it also reminds me of like young Marcy's case that we talked about a few weeks ago. It's bringing back all the emotions of that as well. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, this is a question that we ask every week. Like, how can... How could somebody do something like this? You know, stabbing somebody so many times, burning them, you know, mutilating them. It's just, it just makes you wonder how can somebody be so evil? Um, But also, unlike our last seven cases, this case is actually considered solved. So literally the next day after Evelina's mutilated body was found, the police announced that they had arrested a suspect. A 27-year-old man named Timothy Wade Locklear, who is also called T-Bone, was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, attempted first-degree rape, burning personal property for setting fire to Dow's clothes and altering and destroying evidence. He was given a $100,000 bond for each of the charges except for the murder charge, which he was given no bond for. So what was Timothy's motive for this? Well, I read that they had kind of grown up in the same community, so he definitely knew Evelina, which means he probably knew her son had just died too, which, you know, makes the case even worse. Um, And one article actually said that they were close friends, but I'm not really sure if that's true or not. Um, 
but I, I don't, I'm not sure for his, of his motive for this at all. Maybe it could have been sexually related since he um, was charged with attempted rape. But I've also been really confused about that charge. Like, how would they know if he attempted to rape her but didn't actually do it? Um, but I don't know if this is maybe an area where I don't understand legal terms enough to say. Yeah, but didn't he burn the lower part of her body? Like, he was probably trying to burn the evidence of a rape, I would think. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Um, uh, but I also looked into his past, and it looks like he had kind of a long rap sheet, too. So he has a communicating threats charge, trespassing, and a robbery with a dangerous weapon charge, which was a felony. He had done five years for that crime beginning September 2010, and he actually got out in December of 2015, which is actually literally just two months before Evelina's murder. Wow, two months. And it also seems like his crimes before Evelina were just escalating, too. Yeah, it seems like that to me, too. And, and it's also crazy because her grandma says that she had just seen Timothy a few days before Evelina's murder. And a few of the articles I've read say that he actually kidnapped Evelina. So I'm not sure if he saw her leaving her grandma's house, which, again, remember, he, he grew up in that area. Um, and, and maybe he took her then or what really happened, you know, between that Friday that she was last seen and then the Sunday that she was found. And from what I can tell, there hasn't been a trial yet or anything, and it looks like he's still in the Robinson County Jail and not in a prison. But I actually did find out that in November of 2016, he filed a civil suit against three corrections officers saying that they had violated his constitutional rights. I wonder what that's for, but also it's like, it sounds like he is where he needs to be, so I don't feel super bad for him. Like, He's in jail, but still there's no resolution. And I also read that after Evelina went missing, her uncle said, there is no more Evelina. She was the only one. And also her grandma is still alive today. So when Evelina was killed, her grandma was about to turn 94 and today she's 99 years old. So it's amazing that she has lived so long, but also really sad that she's had to experience something like this in her life. And we also learned that this isn't the first set of tragedies that happened in their family. In addition to both Evelina's death and her son's death, the family has already experienced extreme violence in the past. So Modest Jones is the name of Evelina's grandma who raised her, but Miss Modest was actually Evelina's great aunt who she called grandma. And this is actually pretty common in Lumbee communities. So my niece and nephew call me Aunt Brittany, but I'm not actually their aunt because... They're my first cousin's children, but in Native communities, you know, we kind of have broader definitions, I think, of, like, familial terms than other communities do. Oh, definitely. Like, all of my mama's first cousins, I call them aunt or uncle. Um, yeah. So, decades ago, Modest actually ran this club in Robinson County, and she needed some beer for the club. And Modest had a sister named Eloise, who would have been Evelina's actual grandma. And one night, Eloise went to Rockingham, which isn't too far from Robinson County, to get the beer. So she was at this store there in Rockingham with two other women. And some white soldiers came up to them and started harassing them. And then the men eventually beat and assaulted the two women. But they eventually got away, but Eloise was not so lucky. And that night, the soldiers actually raped Eloise and then drug her behind their car and then left her for dead. Holy crap. But... Through some miracle, honestly, 
like I can't even imagine, Eloise managed to live and was admitted to the hospital. Her daughter, whose name was Evelyn, and that who Evelyn is actually named after, said that her mama looked like she had been skinned when she saw her laying in that bed. And Eloise was disabled after this and put in a wheelchair and had brain trauma, as you could imagine, you know, after being drove by a car. She could take some small steps after going to rehab, but not many. And her grandma ended up having to take care of her. And I think our listeners can probably already guess what happened to those white soldiers. So nothing, absolutely nothing. No charges, no write-up in the paper, nothing. They literally raped her, drug her behind a car, and then left her to die and didn't get into any kind of trouble. And now I'm about to get scientific and a little bit morbidly poetic on y'all, but I don't know if y'all know, but your maternal grandmother actually carries you in her womb. So when a girl fetus is in her mother's womb, she already has all of the eggs that she'll ever have in her life. So when your grandma was pregnant with your mama, she is also at that same time carrying you too. Yeah, and I actually think that's why we have such special relationships with our mama's mama's. And also, this goes into historical trauma, too. Like, we have on some level experienced what our grandmas have experienced just from the fact that we were literally in their bodies at one point in our pre-existent lives, which is, like, so crazy to think about. Yeah, and so it's just eerie to me, I think, especially in this case. Like, the way that Eloise was traumatized many years ago was pretty similar, I think, to the way that Evelina was eventually killed. And two, I I was actually talking this week with Julia Pierce, who we talked to for our episode on her father, Julian Pierce, and she was saying how from a young age, Lumbee people are conditioned to be very cautious and also very wary of people. And I know when I was a little girl, I could not stay off with people. Like I could not spend the night away from my home unless it was with my grandparents. But like we're kind of taught to be fearful. But you know, when you consider stories like this, like the Evelinas of today and the Eloises of the past, it's clear that this is not a problem that's getting better. Our mothers were right to fear, and we are right to fear. In Eloise's case, the boogeymen were white soldiers who she probably didn't know. But for Evelina, her monster was the boy next door, another lumpy person who she had grown up knowing her whole life. And that's what makes me mad, too. Like, she was in her home territory, and she wasn't even safe there. And if we can't be safe at home, then where can we be safe? Right. And unfortunately, Evelina's story gets even worse even after she's gone. So on November 30th, 2019, almost four years since her murder, at 2.49 in the morning, Manal Abedalese, the father of Evelina's children, was murdered at the same convenience store where their son had died four years prior. Manal was 60 years old at the time. And he was apparently closing his store that evening when he was killed in what was reported as an armed robbery. And again, just like they had done for his son Cash, people created a little memorial outside of the store to pay respects. And community members talked about how much they liked him and how nice he was. And also at that time, he was um, actually, he actually had another young son, a two-year-old, with another Lumbee woman who was his fiance at the time. So he had five children in all. You know, this is just a tragic story all in all because it involves three murders, a father, mother, and a son, as well as the rape and attempted murder of Evelina's grandma, Eloise. Violence has just followed this family for generations. And in closing today, as we all think about Evelina and her family and what has happened to them, I encourage you to check out the special that Spectrum News did on the murders of Indigenous women in Robeson County. 
It's posted on our timeline on Facebook, and we would like for you to listen to the sisters, the mothers, and the cousins as they share about their loved ones' murders. We would like you to also note what the Sheriff of Robinson County says about missing and murdered Indigenous women. For more background on the Sheriff, please listen to our two episodes on Julian Pierce. That will tell you pretty much all that you need to know. Also, in the coming weeks, we plan to cover the cases of several women in Robinson County, including Rhonda Jones, Christina Bennett, Megan Oxendine, Cynthia Jacobs, Michelle Driggers, and Lisa Harden. If you have any information about any of these women, please contact us on our Facebook or our Instagram pages by searching for The Red Justice Project. Thank you for listening, and stay safe.